Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, January 6, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page XXVIII, paragraph 2. And today's readers are... The 12 Steps, Mary B., The 12 Traditions, Lorraine W., and the readers are Kathy W., I'm sorry, Kathleen W., possibly Kathy S., and Chris G. The reference number for yesterday, which was Thursday, January 5th, 2015, is 9454, 9454, the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary B. to read the 12 steps. Press star one, Mary B. Star one, Mary B. Can you hear me, Melanie? I can now. Good morning. Okay, I keep getting re-muted. This is Mary B. Gratefully recovered from Central California, calling from Yuma, Arizona, this morning. The twelve steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. Thank you, Mary B. I will now ask Lorraine W. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Lorraine W., star one, please. This is Lorraine W. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Good morning. Good morning. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do this service. Thank you, Lorraine W. How our meeting works? Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in the literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. 
and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the one that's sharing should be muted. Today we resume the study of the big book on page XXVIII, paragraph 2, starting with frothy emotional appeal. We'll read two paragraphs, which end in altruistic movement now growing up among us to start out. Uh, focus your shares on that second paragraph, please. And now I'll ask Kathleen W. to begin our sharing and reading. Thank you, Kathleen. Hi, this is Kathleen W. from Phoenix, Arizona. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In, early, in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to, be, if they are to recreate their lives. If any feel that as, a, as psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental, let them stand with us while on the firing line. See the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children. Let the solving of, their, of these problems become part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder what we have accepted, um, that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up amongst them. And I looked up the word altruistic, and it means unselfish, selfless, compassionate, kind, and charitable. And I think they're referring to recovered alcoholics helping alcoholics, in our case, compulsive overeaters. This paragraph talks about psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics. And in the first two paragraphs of this chapter, it says this is a medical estimate and about convincing testimony that came from medical men who worked with the sufferings of our member, members and how they witnessed them return to health as a result of Dr. Silkworth writing the letter explaining the twofold allergy we have and what happens to people like us when we ingest our trigger foods. He refers um, to 1934 in his letter. And in my life in 1983, um, several years after he wrote this letter, my mom sent me to a psychiatrist. I was about 19. And um, I told my mom that I had anxiety. And um, the truth was that I was newly out of high school and I, you know, learned how scary life was and I didn't know I had this two-fold allergy and I couldn't stop binging, but I didn't tell her that. And I had learned when I was eight years old how to eat ding-dongs and Twinkies in isolation in the orange tree in the backyard all alone. So food became my go-to um, because, as I said, by the time I was 19, I learned that life was really scary and I started binging to deal with my fear and, uh, and other uncomfortable emotions. When I went to the psychiatrist that my mom sent me to, he told me, and I told him that I was binging on my mom's potato salad that she had made for a big party. And then I had the fear of, oh my gosh, a lot of the potato salad is missing and what am I going to do? And I told him I, I couldn't stop eating it and um and I my stomach was so extended I looked pregnant and so he told me well stop eating it 
And that's not the solution for people like us. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. That didn't, I couldn't just stop eating the potato salad or my trigger foods. So then fast forward to my late 30s, in about 2002, I went to an eating disorder therapist. And um, I don't think she knew about the doctor's opinion either, either or the twofold allergy. And these two medical professionals that I went to, um, you know, they both were very good at what they did. But I don't think that part of their curriculum in college was to study the big book. Um, and it wasn't until three or four years ago when I started listening to this meeting and really studied the big book and learned finally for the first time in my life in my late 40s what was truly wrong with me. And I, I learned about it in the doctor's opinion. I have a twofold allergy, and when I ingest my bit my trigger foods, I'm going to get, you know, that insatiable craving in the mental obsession, and I can't stop. And... um and so I'm just very grateful that I know who I am today and what my malady is, and it's not a moral issue, and that we have this book, and I have all of you, and you understand me, and we all understand each other, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Kathleen W. Going to be opening this up to sharing here. Remember, we will be sharing on that second paragraph, please. I'll start taking some names now. Melissa R. Penny C. Melissa okay. A. Rivka A. Let me talk about who I've just gotten now, and we can go on from there. I have Nessa R., Penny C., Harlan G., Melissa C., and Rivka A. Anybody else? Linda S. Linda S. Okay, let's go with that. Tina S. Sounds like... Hi, Tina. I caught you at the end here. Let's go with that lineup, please. Nessa R., Penny C, Harlan G, Melissa C, Rivka A, Linda S, and Tina S. Let's start with that. Good morning, Nessa. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Vision for you. This is Nessa R, recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, the phrase that's speaking to me this morning is the altruistic movement growing among them, because you know um, now looking back, um, actually, just I, I would just say first that. You know, this phrase speaks of the incredible transformation that results as a, as a, as a product of working this beautiful program, these steps as outlined in the big book. Because um, looking back now, um, the last word that I would describe myself as was altruistic. Of course, at the time, I thought I was being altruistic because, you know, I wanted everybody to be happy and I wanted to help people. Of course, I wanted to give them the kind of help I thought they needed. And I determined what it is that was going to make everybody happy. Um, and now that I know better, now that I can differentiate the truth from the false, I can see that what I was truly uh, pursuing was my own happiness, my own comfort, my own security. Um, you know, I thought it was good uh, for everybody else. I thought what would make everybody else happy. But, of course, it was what would make me happy. And, you know, as, as we put down the food that really uh, fogs, I'm going to speak for myself. As I put down the food that fogs my judgment and and deprives me of clarity, and then as I I work the steps that unblock me from the real solution to my problems, which is aligning myself with God's will for me, then I am truly able 
to uh, let go of my of my own ideas, of my own conceptions, of my own even desires, and and really focus on what it is that is demanded from me. It's not what do I need, but what is needed of me, which is so crucial, and what makes one truly altruistic. And I mean, I'm not a saint. I mean, I I, I you know sometimes I I revert back to through the selfish, manipulating person, but now I have a, a mechanism that allows me to correct myself, you know. When my nose is at a joint, when I start feeling resentment and fear and all those things, you know, that is a red flag that, hey, you know, I've moved away from that alignment with, uh, with God and I need to get back um, in, in that mode and how I do it is, again, to the steps, the steps that originally got me into alignment you know, will help me correct in those moments when of, of, of lapse when I when I become disaligned with with God's will for me, and you know it's such a much better way of living because I'm not in a constant collision course with everything and everyone. I'm not fighting with people. Uh, people are not um, you know wondering what kind of mood I'm gonna be in. You know, am I gonna be happy? Am I gonna be you know not happy? Um, it's just, um, I, I don't know, it's just hard to describe, but it's harmony. Um, and then, of course, is the fact that um, I'm, he- I'm truly helping people now, giving them the help that they need and want, not the help that I think they should need and want. Um, that makes life so satisfying, not only in the rooms, but outside of the rooms as well. And I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Penny C, press star one. morning. Thank you, Melanie, and thank you, everybody on the line. My name is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater living just outside Boston. Um, every time I hear this paragraph or, or read it, it reminds me of being a young nurse and having, having patients, uh, one in particular, who had to be brought in the hospital uh, by the fire department who reported that they had to tear the window and, and remove some of the shingles from the woman's house in order to get her out of the house to bring her in. And, um, and she only let certain people into the room to to um, see her because of, you know, she was so, so large. And the doctor's saying to us young nurses, obesity is the most difficult medical condition that we doctors treat. And at the time, you know, I was overweight um, and standing there, but I didn't consider myself obese, although by the charts I'm sure I would have have, uh, qualified. And thinking that, you know, um, what can be done about this? It seemed like the the doctors were just baffled and and then I found Overeaters Anonymous and started talking to doctors. And um, I haven't been met with a whole lot of enthusiasm, even though I've described my my history and what OA has done for me until my recent surgery when I found a PA, a physician's assistant, who for the first time was enthusiastic about my history when she said to me, you know, it usually takes takes us an hour to position people for this back surgery, but within people like you, 
it took much less time. And I, I just almost, you know, hugged her than people like me. And so I went right into my history, and she was enthusiastic. And maybe somebody else knows the history, but to my knowledge, no doctor has written an opinion that I've ever read about what OA, about what this altruistic movement that we all are in, that we help one another. Um, no, I don't. I've never read a doctor's opinion about how how um, effective it is or encouraging other um, medical people to send their people to OA. Um, so with that, I'm going to pass, hoping somebody else has something to say about that. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. Harlan G., you're up next. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, good morning, Melanie, and good morning, Team Friday. I remember very distinctly, as I read this paragraph, I remember very distinctly the many times my mother was hospitalized because of her morbid obesity and what that did to me as a child. And I have some memories of being hospitalized in the early 80s, and I was 513 pounds, and I remember my friends would come and visit me, and some of them were crying. It says here, if any field that is psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental. Let them stand with us a while on the firing line. See the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children, let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. Whatever the recovery rate is in OA, and yesterday there was someone that said I, they don't want to hear about the abysmal rates. I'm not talking about abysmal. I'm just saying whatever the recovery rate is in OA, there was nothing, nothing before this movement. There were pills, yes. There were operations, yes. Everything, anything else that was tried was an abysmal failure. The speed, the amphetamines that they loaded me up on as a child made me cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and they were ineffective because when they wore off, I ate Illinois and most of Wisconsin. These surgeries were barbaric. They were barbaric. The only thing is this. We had Peabody's The Common Sense of Drinking, which was a book about drinking where he encouraged people to help one another, but there was no spiritual angle. We have Dr. Rader, who wrote the foreword to the Brown Book, and the Rader Institute is no longer operational, but the, Dr. Rader wrote something about our movement. And there were other, here and there, there were other people that pointed people in the direction of OA. But with the multi-trillion dollar industry of weight loss, there are doctors today that don't even know there is an OA. There are Nurses today, there are dietitians today, there are nutritionists today that don't even know that OA exists. Part of that is our fault. Part of that is our fault. But this works. And the renaissance of the movement that works is within a vision for you, the meeting that you are listening to right now. This is part of the spearhead of the renaissance, of the recovery that is available out there. This 
is the only solution, is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, pushing yourself away from the table, running around the block, going to the gym, doing push-ups. It's great, but it doesn't work because the problem is never the food. The problem is the buildup of everyday human emotion, which drags us by the hair into the food in search of relief from the untenable, searing, unrelenting pain of not eating that comes about in us and not in the normal temperate eater. And for 18 years, I have been able to be emancipated from the food, and I have done so happily because of these steps. This is what works, and this is the only thing I've seen that works. Please, if you're on the phone, if you're listening on a podcast, please keep coming back. I've lost over 500 pounds in this program, and I have kept it off happily. And if I can, you can. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Melissa C., you're next. Star one. Hi, good morning. Hi, can you hear me now? I can, thank you. Good morning. Okay, hi, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, you know, there was nothing um, sentimental about what this doctor was saying because he had seen the wreckage and the ruin and, and saw the recovery, you know, and, and it's unbelievable. I know my own story is unbelievable where I was than where I am now. This is nothing um, melodramatic or sentimental when we talk about that this movement, this altruistic movement is effective where everything else is not. You know, in my experience, if you have what I have, um, all the other remedies are just temporary measures. And um, the only thing that can ensure recovery is this altruistic movement. And, you know, so um, yesterday, um, one of our incredible fellows told this story that was really powerful for me about that hole and about how, you know, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen. I'm not going to say the whole thing, but just that um, we get in the hole with one another because we have found the way out. And that is really powerful. That is precisely what I needed. And now, having gotten out, now it's important for me to get back in that hole. You know, this works for the person who's being helped. You know, this altruistic movement, yes, those people that were so lovingly giving to me helped me unbelievably. But now that I'm in a position to have something to share, my getting back in the hole and helping is helpful for me. It keeps me recovered. This altruistic movement is, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's when um, a person calls me and they're looking for for some assistance, for some help, for some guidance, for, you know, um, and I call them back because I do, because I need to call them back. It, it is what keeps me recovered, um, you know, and I never got that from a doctor. Um, you know, there was no the sharing of the message. It was they're going to give me a remedy and I'm either going to listen to it or, you know, I'm not, and I tried to listen to it but I couldn't, I couldn't listen to it. I couldn't apply it. And, you know, I look at really fast. I look at Oprah Winfrey right now on TV, you know, 
um, pimping Weight Watchers yet again. And, um, you know, I'm sure her intention is really helpful along with the profit. Um, but we, what we have to offer is the real solution. And, um, you know, and not Weight Watchers. This is not a diet club. We offer something much greater. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Rivka A., you're next. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Thank you again. Um, this is Rivka, recovered compulsive overreader from Israel, and I want to thank you personally for uh, guiding, leading this uh, this important movement, advancement and progressiveness of action in a, in a group of people called Overeaters Anonymous, um, and I'm so grateful to be a part of that. Um, I want to touch a little bit about um, this, um, the little children, the despairing wives, how about those despairing husbands, how about those despairing family members, uh, parents, um, growing up, um, you know, so unselfish of me, and I just want to put myself in that because that's what I experienced very unselfish of me to um, run to something to uh, ease the dis-ease, the discomfort, uh, my angers, my fears, uh, my dishonesties. It was about focusing on getting something to feel better outside myself, looking for the material instead of looking upward, searching for what I didn't know except for today through the solutions, through the steps which are spiritual in nature, um, I was always running after to, to get something, to feel better. And, you know, and, and it wasn't working, but I thought it was, and I thought it had it under control. Um, how I affected people, uh, infected people, how about in the workplace, how about in schools, how about, how about um, just in the home, beginning at the home, um, so much uh, calamity and lack of trust. My um, dishonesties and fears, and for the family members who were looking on with hopelessness and fear, how about those children? I remember when I was fearful um, of of my parents because there was a lot of disease in the family unit itself. Um, you know, I'm so glad that this program, this movement, this advancement—what uh, a privilege to be a part of this! You know, because we have something in common, which is working. And it has been working. And, you know, all it is is taking, taken from me is the willingness. God grant me the serenity and the willingness to accept the things I cannot change, the courage and the willingness to change the things I can. And that's me. That's all about me and this program. And I work it one day at a time. Thank you so much for listening. And with that, I pass. This is Rivka A. Thank you, Rivka A. Linda S. Star one. Hi, it's it's Liz S. from New Hampshire Recovered. Um, oh, what did I say? You said Linda. It's okay. Oh, okay. Well, hello, Linda. <laughs> um, there are a few things here that really struck me, and I just quickly want to say that the, the line before the, this paragraph is, and that is that uh, I really want to recreate my life, and and that's that's very important to me and that's one of the uh the major reasons that I've gone through these steps and and continue a day at a time to to work them and to work with my higher power. And 
what really strikes me in this paragraph is that these doctors in, I guess it was 1939, were open to a non-medical method of treating alcoholics. And I find that quite remarkable uh, because medical or men or women of the medical profession, I find, are very much um, in favor of and um, stick to what they were taught and trained in medical school. And to read this and 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 see that they were because they bore witness to so many alcoholics coming in and uh and and obviously meeting with men from AA and getting better versus not getting better through their medical methods. They were convinced and they were able and open-minded enough to see that they were failing in their methods and the men of AA were succeeding. And I, I think that is just remarkable. And so it tells me as well that I have to do the same. I have to continue to reach out to those who need help, who are suffering, who are in the disease, and I have to continue in that movement. Um, I've been very fortunate in the psychiatrists that I've seen um, who are very open to uh, 12-step programs. Um, uh, On the flip side, physicians are clueless. And um, that's where I think a lot of work has to be done. And uh, the last thing is, um, in, in terms of what was done in barbaric things, my my uh, my aunt was the, the, uh, anorectic in the 1950s, and um, she was going to have a lobotomy performed. And she had a female doctor who came to her and said, "Please eat." Just eat, and you'll get out of here. And she saved her life. Um, she did not stop her anorexia. Her anorexia continued, but she saved her from that. And that's what they did in the 50s if you had that disease. That's how far we've come from that to now. And I need to just be reminded because it chokes me up to think, they would have done a lobotomy on a 15-year-old. And today, we have OA. And that's a miracle. That really is a miracle. That that is where we are now. And I passed. Thank you, Liz S. Tina S., you're next. Thanks so much, Melanie, for your service. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. I don't want to get emotional, but I really appreciated the previous share because it was a similar experience of mine with my mother back in the 50s. And, um, you know, I, and I always say thank you, God, today that uh, we have Overeaters Anonymous. And um, oh, I forgot what I was going to share now. But anyway, um, what I, you know, I, too, want to uh, talk about this word altru- altruistic, you know, because a selfless concern for the well-being of others when I got here, that was certainly not on my list because I was so consumed with self. 
I couldn't get past that. And, you know, I too had, um, back in 1987, first time I ever went to a psychiatrist because I had all kind of opinions about psychiatrists after my growing up. And I, I knew if I went to one, I was going to get a diagnosis no matter what it was. So when I went to one, I, um, you know, I didn't tell them the truth. You know, I when I was in the waiting room, I was reading a magazine and they were talking about Prozac, and my concern was to lose weight. Now, needless to say, when I got to this psychiatrist, I was in normal weight, actually probably underweight, but, you know, that was always my focus, to, to lose weight. So I went in there telling them, you know, I think I need to be on this pill called Prozac, you know, and through the process, and I don't even remember what half of what was said, you know, when I left, I know he told me that maybe I ought to check out Alcoholics Anonymous. And that maybe I needed to talk to this uh, psychotherapist about an eating disorder. And I was like, you know, I, I to the, still to this day don't know how he got to those two things from what I thought I shared with him. But anyway, what a gift, you know, I, I, in how things happen in God's world and not Tina's. In two weeks' time, I was in a treatment center in Florida. I'm from Pennsylvania. You know, and, and you know, for me, I was gifted at that time to have this treatment center you know, the solution was the big book. You know, I was not ready for the solution. Um, you know, I haven't, I hadn't exhausted all my efforts yet. You know, I went, to, I came to Florida. I was amazed. I mean, it was, this was December. It was 78 degrees. All I did was lay out and get a tan, you know, and they didn't even know I wasn't even in these um, groups. But the good news about that was that they planted the seed, you know, so then when I came back a couple years later, you know, because I had exhausted my efforts by that time, I knew what the solution was. And um, what a gift today. What a gift. And I, and I loved what was shared. You know, um, if I don't give this thing away, I certainly am not going to keep it. And I have a passion today to do that. And I am a little less self-centered. Um, so with that, I'll pass. What a wonderful gift. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. I'll open it up for additional shares. Looks like we have time for maybe five more. Hi, maybe Julia. Six. Larry. Okay, I'm going to stop there, please. Let's see what I have. I have Julie R., Larry K., Leah D., Leah M, Irini, and Deborah R, and that's all that I can take. The rest would be please stay for the second hour. I'll go ahead and start with Julie R. Would the rest of you please mute your line? Thank you so much. Hi, this is Julie R, recovered compulsive overeater in California. You know the the paragraph talks about the you know the doctor seeing the despairing wives, the children. You know, I think back about when I was in the food and, um, you know, when I was 300 pounds and I couldn't go play on the floor with my kids like other moms could be. And I would sit there and eat instead of playing a game. And and my doctor got to see me up and down, up and down. And he had never had an overweight problem in his life, worked out five days a week, played racquetball, blah, blah, blah. And when I went in, one of my relapses... um, a couple, it was about four years ago, I think, and um, I had gained my all my weight back. And I asked him because um, I wanted to get the surgery. I just, you know, just wanted to get this done, even after all that I knew. And he looked at me and he said, no, I will not let you do that. You go back to OA. You get another sponsor or whatever you call it, 
and you work your program like you did before. And you know what? I am so grateful for my doctor saying that to me. Somebody who has no clue, never been an addict, knew that it had worked for me. And they, um, my doctors now give people uh, my phone number that are morbidly obese, and um, which is awesome because there's so many people out there that have never heard of Overeaters Anonymous. And we have that ability. We are a walking miracle. Yeah, the weight loss is great. But that I am not a dishonest woman at my core. That I am not angry all the time. That I am available for my family. Those are the true gifts. That spiritual awakening, spiritual experience. So, yeah, we can spread the good news. Go to your doctor. Give them the pamphlets. Give them your phone number. And I am so grateful for my doctor that looked at me and said, no, I will not do that surgery on you. Um, so with that, I pass. Thank you, Julie R. Larry Kay? Hey, Melanie. Thank you for, for uh, moderating this morning. Um, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. I wanted to jump in here. You know, <clears throat> Uh, medical schools, well, if you look at, you know, medical curriculum, you know, there's some flexibility in the curriculum, but because they're accredited, you know, a lot of the broad-based training um, in the, ba- you know, is in the basics with, uh, of the clinical sciences, and there's extensive clinical experiences in the different medical disciplines like uh, surgery and pediatrics and psychiatry and um, all sorts of different areas. The thing is, there's no uh, there's no coursework on spirituality as a solution. That's not how it's designed. And so, as a consequence of that, um, you know, and, and doctors, you know, they're generally well intentioned. Um, I have doctor friends and other twelve step programs. There's few. There's not many. I'll tell you why. There's probably not many, in my opinion. See, there's a principle which is a bar against all information. See, we read this. Uh, we read this at the end of the, in the appendix in the spiritual solution. There's this principle, you see, it's a bar against all information, and it's, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man or a woman in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. See, I've investigated this, this 12-step deal experientially. I didn't read about it. I didn't uh, analyze it. I didn't listen. I didn't do a study of hundreds of you, of, of you recovered people. I experienced it directly. Unless someone experiences it directly and they are indeed, they do have this alcoholic mind and they accept who they are, and then they experience it directly, they cannot understand. And so that's what's going on in the medical community. They can't understand. And, and, you know, and they're trained in the clinical sciences. And so this is uh, for Dr. Silkworth to jump out and uh and take a chance you know to uh to uh, accept what this altruistic movement was you know that was a divine thing in nature if it wasn't for him i would be dead today i wouldn't be some my daughter calls me dr dodo i wouldn't be dr dodo i'd be dead dr dodo so i've experienced it and i'm grateful for it and with that i'll pass thanks thank you larry k leah d you're next. 
morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. If any feel that a psychiatrist directing a hospital, we appear somewhat sentimental. You know, I, I picture all these doctors sitting around saying, oh, those poor, poor alcoholics. Yeah, humor them, humor them, humor them. You know, I'm here 42 years, and I'm still a little resentful that I didn't hear for 41 years the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. Um, I, too, owe my life to Overeaters Anonymous, but I keep reading the literature and saying, why aren't they giving me the truth? You know, in Jewish, they call it emes. Where's the emes? Where are the words that say, I have an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind? I came in as a hardcore gratiator. I heard powerless. That was it. I didn't understand why I failed my whole life and needed drugs and couldn't last 20 minutes on a food plan. And I did lose the weight, and I kept it off for seven years, but I didn't have recovery. And I didn't have anything to what I have today in this rocketed dimension. And our daily work and our altruistic movement, I believe that I have an obligation to share my recovery from the real truth to the world so people don't put us in the same category as another Weight Watch or another diet group. I am not part of a diet group I am part of an understanding. You see, I've got a brain because it says in the big book, because God gave me brains to use. And I'd like to be explained so my brain can understand why I'm a compulsive eater and why my addiction with food is prominent in my daily living. So I believe, you see, I teach children with dyslexia and I tell them why their brain works. And I need to understand how my brain is different and how my brain doesn't allow me to be normal around this thing. And the reasons don't matter. I'm too old to figure it out. You know, I just know that today that I have an illness that's an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And I don't need someone to be sentimental about it. I need us to be strong and united to share with the young people today so I can save them 40 years of misery and not have them fail and go on every single diet out there to try to get the recovery that I've been blessed with because of you, the meeting, the big book, and God. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Leah D. Leah M., you're next. Thank you very much, Melanie. You know, Silkworth acknowledges, he's acknowledging the limitation of his art, and that's exactly, you know, what was happening. These alcoholics were coming in, and... You know, it was a hopeless situation, and these men of science and medicine were essentially standing powerless before the obsession of the mind. They didn't know what to do uh, with these folks. You know, and thank God this movement uh, bubbled up, and people were getting well. Men and women were recovering, staying recovered. AA began to uh, grow by leaps and bounds eventually because people were recovering and families were being reunited. You know, years ago, I was asked to speak and share my story at a major hospital in Maryland. And, um, yes, there were people with eating disorders uh, listening to that, but uh, primarily it was psychiatrists, it was cardiologists, it was psychologists in the hospital. Um, and after I shared my story, they approached me and said, you know, we're well aware that the 12 steps have positive results 
for alcoholics that AA has the results. But, you know, honestly, we're not seeing that in Overeaters Anonymous for people who have the disease of compulsive overeating, Um, that the 12 steps don't work is what they said to me. And I responded, you know, these 12 steps work when they are worked 100%. You know, for many years I spent time, how did I get to be one? How did I get to be a compulsive overeater? We don't have the time to figure out how I got to be a compulsive overeater because this is not about medical science or psychology. This is not about Freudian concepts. We don't have the time to figure out how I became a compulsive overeater because chances are I was dying. I was dying during the investigation. This program works. Truth is, most people, most of us, compulsive overeaters, will not do the things that are necessary to make this thing work. Compulsive overeaters are my type against all information, against all evidence, persist in saying, but I'm not like that, therefore I don't need to do these things. There's no evil force. The program is here uh, to be worked and to cooperate with God's grace, and it works 100% when we work it 100%. And just wrapping up, I mean, one of the greatest uh, times was in another city in meetings where the primary voice was those who had recovered, and in that meeting, where which was an open meeting, there were endocrinologists, there were cardiologists, there were nutritionists, hearing the positive results of these 12 steps for Overeaters Anonymous. It is possible. It really does work when you work it. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Irene M., you're next. Thank you, Melanie, for your loving service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irene, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God, always giving credit where credit is due. Altruistic movement. I, too, looked up altruistic, and it said in Latin, alter, also, alter means other. So unselfish and a devotion to the welfare of others. This is becoming selfless from where I used to be selfish. It's a new way of living. It's a new feeling, and it's a new behavior. And and it shows that I have a desire to help other people and to have a lack of selfishness. So, and it's having that compassion. It's being kind towards others. And helping one another, you know, is very effective because that's how God would have us be. This is our true nature, to love God and to love others. And this movement is a change of position of where I used to be, you know, where I used to came from. And it's a continual motion of giving, of focusing on other. That's the big O as in God. And that's the small O as in people. And it's to walk in the light of the spirit so we see the truth and to act in the right way. And it's about extending out our hands to give 
and not to take anymore. It's to listen to those that need to be heard and not want to be heard. It's to see with spiritual eyes and speak the words of encouragement and hope for others. And this is the program of retraction. This is what's so yummy. And yes, the doctors were powerless. They were powerless with these alcoholics. And here, we as addicts, once getting connected, must get connected. And being recovered, we have the power with the capital P. We stand on God's confidence and are connected to his power for us to be empowered, to give hope and to help helpless people to be transformed into hope. What an honor. I mean, I shake when I, when I, when I speak these words. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And it's a beautiful ending to a tragedy from having despair to hope, to live a happy, joyous, free life. How can we not thank God for this? Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irene. Deborah R., it's your turn. You'll pick us out this morning. Good morning. Thank you, Melanie, for your service this morning and all of Team Freddy. Um, I think of this. I also looked up the definition of altruistic, and it says unselfish, and it says selfless concern for the well-being of others. Um and I also had had some synonyms of humanity and um, just being um, where one would lavish, be a benefactor, beneficent, big-hearted, charitable, generous, um, and open-handed. These many things, what I... I get from the first part of the paragraph is that these doctors have gone to school, they've studied, they've seen multitudes of alcoholics, and they couldn't, in their own scientific um, way, find a solution that could help. And yet, here they are, powerless to help. And Dr. Silkworth has the, for me at least, um, a divine inspiration where they say we have accepted and encouraged this movement. Well, this movement, this altruistic, unselfish movement that was growing up among them. And it was just the inkling. It was just the beginning. Yes, it was nice to have 100. I mean, back in the day, they were lucky to see some people, um, some alcoholics move on. But it is the essence of our step 12 of working with others. I mean, to come to OA, get this wonderful spiritual relief, to find a power greater than myself, to recreate my life, and not give it away, I just would dry up and go back to my old ways. It is a combination of selfless and selfish to keep I but I also want to give it away that's 
my gratitude for this marvelous gift of a new way of life, a program that works in all conditions, whether employed or not employed, retired or sick, that is available. And as the story that was slightly or nicely said yesterday, you know, getting down in the hole with the person and showing them and that I too have been here and I have found a way out here. Take my hand if you'd like to come. With that, I pass. Thank you, Deborah R. And thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Chris G. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, everybody. This is Chris G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Connecticut. Thank you for being here, and thank you for allowing me to do service. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.